Greetings and welcome to Broken Boxes podcast. It is an honor to introduce the following conversation between Chinupahanska Luger and the incredible artist, activist, and our friend, Tanya Aguiniga. Tanya is an artist, designer, and craftsperson who works with traditional craft materials like natural fibers and collaborates with other artists and activists to create sculptures, installations, performances, and community-based art projects. Drawing on her upbringing as a binational citizen who daily crossed the border from Tijuana to San Diego for school as a child, Tanya's work speaks of her experience of a divided identity and aspires to tell the larger and often invisible stories of the transnational community. Check out the show notes for links to support the work Tanya is doing with AMBOS, which stands for Art Made Between Opposite Sides, including a link to donate directly to the AMBOS Ceramics Program, which Tanya speaks to Chinupa with about the inception of on this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoy Broken Boxes podcasts, don't be afraid to leave a comment or give us some stars on the broadcasting platforms. It always helps just bring us up to the top of folks' algorithms. I'm gonna light one more copal, but we're getting ready. Awesome. Well, beautiful to see you again, Tanya. Um, Welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. Thank you so much, Tanya, for joining us today. I'm very happy to see you. It's been a while since we've uh, chopped it up. (laughs) I would love you to introduce yourself in the way that you like to be introduced. And then uh, we can open up a conversation that I'm excited to kind of explore where our uh, meetup goes to. Okay, awesome. Um, so my name is Tania Guiniga. Uh, I live in LA. I've been in LA, I think, 18 years. Originally from Tijuana, Mexico, right on the border. Uh, and I grew up crossing the border every day to go to school in the US. So living in proximity to the actual border fence and crossing the border every day is what like has driven tons of my work as an artist. So I am mainly fiber-based, but have a background in furniture design. So woodworking and metalworking. And I do tons of community activism um, around migrant rights. Where are you joining us from today? So today I am joining you from the banks, the sandy banks of the LA River. I'm sitting in the middle of the LA River in one of the few parts of the LA River that's actually a sand bottom. So there's tons of trees and like migratory birds that come and hang out. There was a couple hawks hanging out today, which was really special. And then every once in a while, like a bunch of coyotes will like walk the banks. And so I'm lucky enough that my studio is on the LA River. So it's easy for me to just, yeah, like walk over whenever I need a little moment of like connection to to semi-nature. <laughs> It's nature all the way, even in the paved sections. <laughs> yes. I mean, the one part that's not paved, but it's very, yeah, very, very still, yeah, enclosed in concrete. Well, what have you been up to recently? Could you explain some of the of the projects you've been working on, uh, just to kind of give us a better introduction to your practice? Yeah. Um. So this 
summer, I was really like, it was a like heavy travel schedule. So um, just every week traveling to another place, which I'm sure you're very, very familiar with the, the hustle of having to constantly travel. And so a lot of the summer was focused on this one project that is connected to the cochinilla, to the cochineal, which is um, the little bug that attacks the nopal cactus that makes carmine red. And so it's a bug that like fueled colon the colonization of the Americas when, you know, the Spanish came, they, I guess, didn't have a true red um, before in the world that they were aware of. And so then when they came, um, they got pretty obsessed with, with this cochinilla and like it became more valuable than silver. And so then they started like commercially producing it and exploiting it. And before that, you know, native Mexican people, mainly in Oaxaca, had been using it to, to dye um, their, their wool for ceremonial practices, also for um, like medicine. And it's, so it's this one thing that I, when I found out about the cochinilla, I was so like astonished by the power of this little tiny bug and the fact that it's all around us in Southern California also like in the Pacific, sorry, not the Pacific South, like the South, Southern, South Pacific, whatever it's called, the, the West, the West of the United States and um, in the deserts in the United States. And so it was this really beautiful thing that, um, you know, like it didn't matter about borders to the cochinilla. The cochinilla just, you know, like welcomes people that know it when you encounter it. And so I... For years, I've been trying to develop this project to reintroduce um, cochinilla and reconnect folks whose ancestors were connected to it, mainly working with like um, like farm worker communities in Oxnard and Ventura. And so that's how I met my friend Porfirio, who I've been doing a lot of this work with um, about the cochinilla, but using the cochinilla as a jumping off point to talk about labor, about forced migration, colonization, and the history of materials and the things that we've lost through forced migration. Um, and so a lot of the projects that we were working on this summer, we're trying to build connections so that we can bring the cochinilla and a lot of um, like reconnection to teenagers whose parents are farm workers. So that's like a lot of what we've been doing. But it's amazing because like through the cochinilla, you know, because of the border, because of people working the farms, there's just, yeah, like tons of different issues of like labor and migration and like unseen labor and um, yeah, like different issues that, that come up that we've been able to kind of touch upon with the project of, yeah, like exploring what the cochinilla means. And like how it's been used in the past and like how people don't really know anything about it now. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I got a little taste of the uh, production, the dyeing aspect of it. Saw several of the tied uh, nop nopales. Uh, uh -huh. What is it? Nopales. 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 Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I'm always like prickly pear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think there is a really beautiful conversation that unfolds when you look at these materials, even as you're talking about colonization and cochinilla. There's a there's a really interesting exploration in the impulse to extract resources based on color 
right? Like gold was like an initial uh, drive, right? And they're looking for all of this gold. And then um, uh, upon like recognizing and understanding the power of this, of this tiny little bug and the vibrance of the red was a transformative aspect in, in European kind of like theological circles. And then um, how that kind of like influences even greater uh, economic pursuits and so much of colonization, you know, oftentimes in my mind, I always think of it as nation building, but in reality, it's economic growth. It's corporate growth. You know, it's like these these efforts to control resources and exploit. And color just seems like such a crazy thing to exploit. For sure. Uh, but I'd like to ask a little bit more about uh, some of the things that you've kind of learned through working with this little tiny bug and its relationship to, you know, if there's any points of, of intersectionality within your own experience, I think you've touched on it, but let's mm-hmm. dive a little deeper into that. Yeah, I think one of the most amazing things that I learned about it that, um, of course, like I could only come to like understand it through my friend Porfirio and like understanding like his relationship to the Cochinilla. Uh, so he's Zapotec, he's... um an indigenous person from Oaxaca. And so the part of Oaxaca that he's from is the part that, you know, has like cultivated and domesticated the cochinilla. So over thousands of years, they domesticated it so that it would have, it would be easier to like extract the color from, but then also they like cultivated it and domesticated it so that it would have a higher carmine content. So just thinking about that and like how many generations it takes you know, to like domesticate a tiny bug, I think is really insane and really remarkable, you know, especially when like thinking about like people don't usually give a lot of credit to like indigenous folks, you know, for like, like their like scientific, like endeavors and contributions. And so like through Porfirio, you know, like talking to me about the cochinilla, then he was like talking about how, you know, like the red only comes from women. So it only comes from like the like female bugs and that he gets to like watch a bunch of them give birth. (laughs) And so a bunch of that stuff just like totally blew my mind. And then suddenly I felt like so much more connected to this little tiny creature and thinking about the ways that female bodies are exploited along the border and all of the different issues that we have with like women's rights and like, you know, like constant like femicides and and how the border really like just exacerbates misogyny. Um, And so this little bug like suddenly started to feel like a relative, you know, it started to feel like like a female body that that had been for so many years just exploited and controlled and its body, you know, like given no rights. <laughs> and so anyways, yeah. So I, through working with Porfirio, yeah, was just like so amazed by getting to know a little bit about like his process and how close he is to it. And he like, the ones that he's cultivated in, in California, he has to like bring inside to his house because it they get cold. And so he like cares for them like as um, 
as relatives and has so much respect for them. And then, you know, he talks often about like their connection, the red colors connection to blood and how like in ceremonies it was always used because it looks so much like blood as soon as you start grinding it and like working with it. Yeah. So I've been able to learn a lot more about like ways of being connected to the land and ways of just existing that, you know, like my family had forgotten. Um, mm. So it's been really beautiful, like through our interaction with each other, like getting to learn more about, yeah, like reconnecting to the land and to plant. And then, yeah, also to, to animals like the cochinilla. One thing that's popping to my mind that would be interesting to explore is this idea of like more than human kinships as a an integral part to indigenous technology, science, and even the like, uh, you had mentioned something about um, the carmine. What were, do you know any of the practices that would like generate more production uh, that they're exploring in the, in the cultivation? Um, so it's mainly because, sadly, you know, the, the process is so connected now to capitalism and to like, like kind of fueling the tourism to, you know, the small town, the Totitlan del Valle uh, in Oaxaca. Everybody pretty much is like hyper focused on dying with it. And there's one person that has figured out the formula that they used, like that the like European masters used to make, to distill the like the carmine into a pigment that then they could turn into an oil uh, paint. And so then there's one, this one dude that pretty much went through like all the codexes and then studied a bunch of like, yeah, like the science behind the pigments in these old master paintings. Um, but pretty much everybody, yeah, just uses it as a dye product. Uh, but Porfirio was explaining that they were also used to like paint the body, um, that they were also used to make medicine. But all of that sadly has been lost. So a lot of the information about it, um, yeah, just doesn't exist. And part of what's really hard about like stuff getting passed down um, is what I was learning like this last like couple weeks ago that I was there is that Zapotec isn't a written language. It's a like passed down language. So even trying to spell things, if you like try to spell things the way that your family speaks, like the family like next door might not understand what it says. And so then a bunch of stuff, like unless it's passed down through oral traditions, like just gets lost. Um, and because of the constant like migration of people from Oaxaca and from the villages over to the U.S. And because a lot of people migrate and they do so, you know, undocumented, then they're unable to come back. So tons of stuff just gets constantly lost because of migration and because of like, you know, Mexico's proximity to the U.S., which is, yeah, really like super sad. Is there an exploration in uh, Porfirio's work or your work in the U.S. to um, kind of engage with some of the communities that have made it over to, to share knowledge from something that they may have picked up from their parents in their community? Yeah, so that's part of what we're doing with the teenagers is we're trying to figure out now what are some of, you know, their ways that they're connected to materials or to, to processes that might be able to be, you know, done here while they're in the U.S. Um, so that they don't lose their connection to, you know, their village and to their family. 
But a lot of like what's really sad is, you know, out of like, again, like forced migration, you know, people getting having to come over here because of, of different reasons. People just keep losing like this connection to stuff. And so then part of what we're doing now is we're working with uh, um, now we like secured a partnership with the textile museum in Oaxaca who has a digitized archive of like images since like the 1940s, 1960s of all the villages. And they have no idea what the picture's of, who's in the picture. Um, they don't know anything other than they've like amassed a collection of images. And so then we're going to be working hopefully with the teens for them to like re reconnect with these images from their towns. And some of the images are images of people. Some of them are buildings. Some of them hopefully have, you know, craft, like images of like craft that people uh, practiced before. And then we're going to be working with the museum to connect them to weavers and like artisans that still work in their towns uh, that they've left so that we can do workshops virtually. And then for those that can travel, um, we're also working on having them travel back to be able to come home and then have workshops with people from their own town to be able to connect. Because a lot of the stuff, you know, if it doesn't get passed down by your parents, then it's really difficult for you to access any of that information. And so that's part of what we're exploring. And a lot of this came from like thinking about natural dyes and a lot of the, you know, the farms in like Oxnard and Ventura grow berries. And so I was like, oh my God, like there's all this dye stuff that people are constantly like laboring, caring for, engaging with that we could be using like the farms um, and like the fields as a place of like, like, you know, cultural production and, you know, like healing exploration. And so that workplaces aren't just a place of like exploitation, but also could be a place of like of learning and sharing. Yeah, that's great. And it's I think it's important to reach people in the communities that they're in, you know, and celebrate those the regional variations. From my experience going down to Oaxaca, I was also, you know, came to to recognize the Zapoteca language having many, many different languages even, you know, embedded in that. And was thinking a lot about it around um the impact of colonialism on a population that prior to contact were all like they were polyglots, right? Like they spoke mm -hmm. many different languages and the, the, the isolation that the um, Spanish probably church system developed mm -hmm. actually like separated all of the um, communication that would maintain the capacity to like communicate between communities. For sure. And that's another thing that's like really weird, too, is like even like being there. And then we got to like a part like the edges of Totitlan and it looked like a border, you know. And so I was like, what is this? Like, what is this fence with like concertina wire? Like, why is this here in the middle of, you know, like a field? And um, Porfirio's nephew was explaining, oh, that's the next town over. Like they like we have issues with them. So they put up like a border, you know, and how like colonization like so much of the the like same tactics are now like continued by like capitalism by the u.s and you know like people's exposure to like the tactics that the u.s uses to oppress people and how um you like you know take it home with you yeah 
it's fascinating to think about the fields and the farm workers in Oxnard coming from all of these different communities and actually like coming together in this different place. Mm-hmm. Um, have, is there any um, unification in the like displacement that comes back together because of proximity? Or do yeah. they say still remain kind of isolated? So there's totally like unification that's come together with the group that we're working with because they all participate in this one community-based project. So they're all part of this program um, at a nonprofit that's called Mixteco Indigena Community Organizing Project. And so then they organize all the like Mixtecos, all the Zapotecos, and then just the Oaxacan community in general and do, you know, like mental health classes they do like they have a radio station where they like like put on their own shows they have like this teen group that we're working with and so then they're all together kind of as like a unified like diasporic community but then they don't all necessarily speak the same language you know because some of them are mixed some of them are zapotec and some people you know like don't speak their like native languages anymore so they speak spanish and so then that's the place where they all come together and some of that is sadly just because of so much racism against the oaxacan community because in mexico there's tons of racism against oaxacans because of you know mexico being a racist you know, like still having like tons of like white supremacy within the culture. And so we were learning a couple of weeks ago that the students also kind of like have gotten closer together because of they have so much bullying in their schools. Um, and a lot of the, the students that we work with are undocumented. So that in itself, you know, like puts so much more added stress on them that having this resource of this community, you know, like around you to protect you and to kind of like, like steward you into like what life is like in the U.S. is super important. So it's really amazing that, um, yeah, that we're able to like explore like reconnection to culture and like using art as a form of empowerment for them because they, yeah, are like sadly, like still isolated and um, like very under-resourced. Are there any um, connects through the community there in Oxnard, the Mixteco um what what was it called again? I, I did come across and, and sat in with them before, but I can't remember the full title of their organization. Yeah. So it's called My Cup. So My it's Cup. Yeah. So like your cup. <laughs> so it's <laughs> Mixteco Indigena Community Organizing Project. Ah, yes. Perfect. Have they had any um, uh, contact with some of the indigenous population from uh, that region? Uh, 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 like Oxnard. Yeah, so all the people that go to the community center are pretty much all indigenous because it's like a mixteco indigena, you know, organizing project and everyone is, is usually mixtec, but then also, you know, you have folks like Porfirio who are Zapotec. And so they're constantly doing things to like celebrate Oaxacan culture and to, yeah, to help people like stay connected and like keep learning, you know, their like native languages and stuff. Right. But what about uh, from the region that they're in, in California? Because I'm always interested in um, bolstering and building these indigenous, uh, you know, um, 
the Americas in general, you know, yeah. and allowing space for that. And I'm it, oftentimes, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's very difficult, you know, because just like you said, the traumas and all of this sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering if there's has been any kind of like um, community building within the land that they're on presently and kind of re-bolstering the um, connections because we used to all trade with each other, you know, mm-hmm. from great distances. So I, I was wondering about that. Yeah. So I don't know like how much work they do connecting people to like where they're from in Oaxaca. Cause I think that they're really like focused on just connecting the people that are here, like in like Oxnard, Ventura, you know, like in that region, um, which is mainly the region where all the farms are, where all the farm workers are. Um, so it's an organization that really helps to serve like farm worker families, but it's going to be really amazing to be able to you know like through this project for the teens to be able to reconnect to the places that they're from because I think even though you know like remittances are a really massive thing you know so people are constantly like once you're here you're constantly like sending money back to where you're from to help your family I don't think you know that stuff comes back up north you know, so then um, a big part of the project is also thinking about like cultural remittances and how the thinking, how we can like make it like a cyclical connection where it's not just, um, you know, people get have to come to the U.S., which then kind of acts as a replacement for the culture that you came from um, when right. you're forced to assimilate um, so that we can keep, yeah, like the nurturing going. But my cop, I'm not sure, yeah, how much like how much resources they have to be able to like, like help people reconnect with, with folks. Yeah. Like back in Oaxaca. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of like Chumash people from, from that region, you know, is there, is there like a connection with the the Chumash and the, uh, and my cops programming to just build like this indigenous kind of like the, those borders are made up, they're temporary, but we, we still maintain these connections, you know? Yeah, I think so. Um, through, I think one of the programs that you were a part of um, when you came to Santa Barbara, I know that my cop was able to connect with Chumash folks, uh, but I don't know how much they connect with each other like normally because, you know, it's like, like they're still like a, non- a small nonprofit and I don't know how often they get invited to like be part of these conversations, which a lot of times happen sadly, like under academia or under like, academic funding so that is definitely something that like we like with the project have to spend a lot more time with because we were like oh yeah like we also have to like in the programming that we do and in like talking about stuff have to make sure that that we connect with the people like whose land they're on so that they can also start to build a relationship with each other yeah well i think the angle that you bring to this as a a master in crafts right like this um this relationship to materials this relationship to construction there is that whole kind of kind of connection that i've i've experienced i'm from you know way up in the in the dakotas missouri mm-hmm. river and there are so many similar instruction of baskets and pots and um, different things like that, like the exploration of weaving, um, the exploration of dyeing and its relationship to to an insect that to this day is not worried about these um, human borders, you know, mm-hmm. uh, would be an interesting kind of like tether. 
Yeah. And so then that's one of the things that like we're supposed to be planning a symposium that's happening really soon. I'm sure we'll like reach out to you to see if you want to be part of it. Uh, but a big part of it is connecting like like there's so many of us that are part of like should be part of the conversation. So many of us that are part of like, you know, the problems that we all have to like like address. And so then we really want to make sure that like, you know, like indigenous folks, like First Nations folks from the U.S. are included, but also like diasporic folks who have been affected by migration, you know, that are from like Mexico, Central, South America, um, because we're all, you know, like for the most part here together, like having to deal with a lot of these issues and a lot of the issues that, you know, the diasporic like migrant communities face are really different than um, than some of the the issues that like First Nations folks might be aware of. Um, so it's important for us all to like get each other's back, but then also understanding the need for like also like white folks to, you know, that are allies to also be a part of it. Um, and then also like Mexican and like Latinx folks for like this specific project, because we're also like a really big part of the of the problem. Um, and we're also, yeah, like there's just so many different intersections um, that like at first, like, you know, like I was like, oh, is it wrong? Like for me to be in this conversation with like a bunch of indigenous folks. And then I started to realize that like, no, like we actually have to open the conversation up to more of us. Um, they can actually like hack away at the problem and like spread out to, to make sure that we're all like working together to support like whoever the most vulnerable folks are. Yeah, I think that that's really important. And there are so many, you know, unfortunate intersections of, of people <laughs> based on some of these kind of like systemic impositions, right? And like exploring it from all of those different perspectives actually helps to generate solutions that are keeping in mind those who are most harmed, you know, uh, because... Yeah. Even as artists, right? Like oftentimes we, we, you can think you're doing something really good and then miss something and actually end up causing more harm, you know, because you're like, oh man. So it's like mitigating that harm, you know? Yeah. Also like spreading education on stuff and letting like the people that are being most harmed, like lead the education on all of our different issues. Right. So that we're not just constantly like assuming stuff, but making sure that, yeah, whoever we're talking about, like, is in the room as well. Totally. Because they help build the room and the table <laughs> and the chairs. Yes. <laughs> uh, the next thing that I'm thinking about is insight that you want to share around, you know, bringing these real kind of like base building moments with communities that are affected by all of this and engaging with um, institutional spaces. Have you, you have any like tricks or any uh, uh, insights that would be helpful for any of our listeners at home, for myself as somebody who loves talking to you and am always appreciative of your, your knowledge um, around kind of generating these platforms for education at institutional levels, museums, schools, yeah. et cetera. Yes. So one really amazing thing is that like from the beginning, you know, I wanted the, like, like for this specific project and, and we can also talk about other projects. We don't have to just talk about this one. Um, but for this specific project, I really wanted, 
you know, the information. So the culmination is going to be like a hopefully an exhibition that's during Pacific Standard Time, which is a really massive like Getty, like museum initiative of all these like exhibitions that happen around the same theme um, all over Southern California. And so I really wanted to make sure that, you know, the audience that we were focused on was the audience that was being served and centered. Um, and so because of that, it was really important for the exhibition to be in a place that was really accessible and that could make more of a difference with like like migrant youth and like first gen folks. Um, and so the exhibition will be at a community college um, because, you know, it's close to like bus lines, but it's also a space that is easier for us to make accessible, you know, and not have it be so, um, like not have people feel stigmatized about, you know, like who can participate in art, like who is art for. And so I think that's been a really amazing like thing just to think about, you know, like these alternative education sites, even though, I mean, community colleges in California are very like, like well, like funded and like, like very like established. Um, but still like most people don't even think about going to community college um, when they're thinking about going to college. But, you know, like most of us that didn't come from money, like that's where you end up if you want to like, you know, like go to school and like learn something, but you just can't, you have to pay for it on your own. Um, so that's been pretty amazing to think about. Um, yeah. Like how we can like tap into this network that serves like a usually like, you know, like an audience that's not thought about by like museums. And yeah, it's been pretty amazing too to also like tap into the networks in Oaxaca. So like the, like making sure that, that we, again, like keep kind of closing that circle and involving more people that can help so that the weight is not all like on my top or Porfirio, but that we can also have like people in Oaxaca, they're like contemporary artists from like different towns that are also indigenous, part of the conversation so that they can also learn like what are the issues that they're, you know, like that their cousins are facing in the U.S. Um, so that they can also feel more connected and supported and, and be able to support the diaspora um, for when the diaspora is able to come back, um, that there's not so much like alienization, stigmatization, um, like people getting called out for being inauthentic just because, you know, like you went to the U.S. Like, it doesn't mean that you're a gringo. You're still like, you know, like an indigenous person. Like you can't like, you know, so there's just all these different issues that I think like opening up, you know, like the, the, the workload has been like really amazing and like yeah, like trying to think of like, how can we all share this work together so that not one person has to like feel like they have to carry everything. So that's been really awesome. And like, yeah, just to think of, you know, like when you're working on something that has a really like, like is serving a really like, like underserved community that needs so much love. Um, there's so many people out there that can help. It's just kind of figuring out like aiming for the highest, you know, and then like reaching out to them first to see like if they can help rather than just thinking like, oh, like we got to like scrounge shit together because like nobody's in a care. Yeah, I really like the insight of working with a um, with community colleges because their student body is usually a better representation of community 
than um, you know state schools and uh, higher whatever education spaces. Um, and kind of like pushing that narrative into those spaces to kind of encourage um, even institutions to consider who they are omitting, you know, admitting and omitting from their from their general uh, uh, population. Because um, it is it's it, it seems to all be connected in many ways, you know, and tethering back. And, and uh, I love what you're doing because it definitely um illustrates that connectivity in in a way that doesn't feel uh isolating you know but rather gathering and bringing people together yeah um so thank you on that and you do have incredible works that you've done outside of this project and if there's any of them that i i imagine one thing informs the next i imagine that because that's how it is in in my little wooden studio and yes. working out there in the world is there any other projects that you wanted to kind of like um, uh, spotlight that that share uh, some of these ideas or are working in a completely different model or angle, but uh, ultimately address, you know, a lot of the same problems? Yes. So so one that would be awesome to like fill you in on, like get you up to date on what's happening is um, the ceramics program. <laughs> Uh, because you were there, you know, when like it all started and like working with you was part of how everything got started, you know? And I think, so I guess to like, to introduce people, yeah, to like what happened was that um, you invited me to collaborate with you um, on the something to hold on to project. And so as part of that, you know, you were talking about the borders and people affected by the border, um, people who, you know, had lost their lives trying to to cross. And even though it was focused on like indigenous folks, at the time I had been working with um, asylum shelters in Tijuana. And so then um, just knowing like the populations of folks that like are forced to migrate and knowing that so many of them are indigenous, some of them, you know, like still know like the name of, of, you know, like the peoples that they are a part of. A lot of people don't, but we know that they're like from indigenous places and indigenous folks, you know, because there's so much racism throughout Latin America and in the U.S. like face such a harder like uphill battle um, in terms of like getting to a place of safety. So I wanted to take you to the shelters so we could do some projects at the shelters. And so we, I think, smuggled like 700 pounds of clay, right? It was something, it was either 500 or 700. It was like, a yeah, it was a lot. And I think liberated or uh, <laughs> yes. returned the clay <laughs> to the earth in another yes. location <laughs> yes. we rematriated we yes we rematriated some some clay um and so then um yeah so we took a bunch of stuff down and then i think we went to did we go to like three or four sites i don't remember or like five Oops. sites i don't remember but we went to a bunch of sites yeah i think we went to four sites i think five was on the on the thing but i think we ended up going making it to four um, one wasn't so, ready to receive us. <laughs> yes. And so one of the places that we went to was this one shelter that had that was very organized, had tons and tons of families. Uh, and when I saw this little girl like dig her hands into the clay 
And then she looked at me really quickly and she asked me, can this hurt me? Um, so she was like, will it hurt me? And so I was like, no, like it's just dirt. And so then she got so happy and started rubbing the clay on her face. And so um, I'm sure some of the like, yeah, the stuff in like commercially produced clay isn't the best for your face. But, you know, thinking about all the trauma that she had suffered, you know, potentially suffered getting there and having, you know, like a little kid ask, like, will this thing hurt me was just yeah, like really, I just like felt it really deep. Like I felt like her pain really deep. And then looking over to the side and seeing this dude that was like kneading the clay like bread and then telling me like super proudly um, that he was a, a baker in his hometown and like seeing like him use his hands in a way that, you know, was so fluid and like so connected to his body just felt like, oh my God, like, like I because I'm not a clay person, like I, you know, like didn't, hadn't connected like how therapeutic, like just working with clay and getting messy could be. Yeah. So then I think we had lunch with the folks that run uh, Families Belong Together in Mexico. And they were like, that was amazing. Can you set up a ceramic studio? And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I don't know. And then I was like, yes, you know, I looked at you and you were like, I think you could do it. And I was like, yes. So now it's been such an insane journey that has been so amazing because now I think we're like almost at three years of running this ceramic studio um, at an LGBTQ asylum shelter that's mainly training folks that are in a 12-step program. So they're all in recovery. And so it's it's been really amazing because I had no idea that there was no clay in Tijuana. And so then when I was like, yeah, like, of course, like, we'll just buy clay like at the store and keep it going. And then they were like, oh, no, there's nowhere to get clay. You actually have to have a visa to be able to cross into the U.S. to access clay. So then if you don't have the resources to be able to get a visa which usually to get a visa, you have to have like a certain quantity of money in the bank, like $10,000. You have to own property, be enrolled in university, like prove that you're not someone that's going to like just stay in the U.S. So it's a really like, you know, like crossing the border is very exclusionary on so many different levels. Um, So anyway, so I was like, oh shit, I already told them I would start this thing, but I don't know where to get clay. And then I was like, oh, good thing that we had like brought in all that clay. So then we had enough to run the program in the beginning of the pandemic with everything that you and I had taken down there. And then we just did it on Zoom. So then, you know, we bought like a table, like we ordered a table, like a Mexican office depot so that they had like somewhere to put the computer, found folks to teach like via Zoom. And then when the pandemic got to a different, you know, safer level, then we were able to um, to go down there. Uh, it was like super serendipitous. There was also no ceramic studio to fire the clay once we made it. And so then one ceramic, the first ceramic studio in Tijuana opened in May of 2020. And because it was May of 2020, they had no clients. So they had no way to keep their business going so then I just paid for them to fire all of our student work for a year and then that's part of how they were also able to keep their business afloat and then kind of more people started like 
like, you know, tag teaming in to help us. And so we've been able to have, you know, like queer led like instruction. And at every ceramics class, there's also a therapist. So it's all trauma informed. So we have this really like amazing network now, like a huge team of folks from like a lot of different like organizations, keeping the program going and helping us like be able to serve our students. And so now we're at two shelters. So we're at two LGBTQ shelters and it's amazing. And so then we are going to have like their ceramics are going to be for sale at LACMA starting in the fall. And yeah, so we've been able to do some really amazing things. And a lot of our students now have made it to the U.S. And some of them were stuck at the shelter for like two years because of, you know, the pandemic and like Trump policy that's still like been holding on. Um, So, yeah, so it's been pretty amazing for us to be able to like keep it going and like how much I've learned through the project, um, you know, because people are like, oh, yeah, like I think like when you go to, you know, like higher ed and you're like, oh, yeah, you just buy the clay, right? Like it's at the like, (laughs) it's at the, you know, the art store has the stuff. And then, um, yeah, I think that's part of like the amazing thing of trying to do, like unlearn a bunch of the stuff that we got taught, you know, in higher ed and like really like examine how much hierarchy and like exclusionary shit goes on in academia and like thinking about, yeah, like who it, who it leaves out, no? And um, yeah, so it's been pretty, it's been pretty amazing. That is amazing. It's great to hear uh, the growth of that and the success of that is so beautiful. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, It was a great opportunity for me to just even go to Tijuana with you and see Tijuana in a way that like I had never experienced it before. And also seeing the the landscape because it had been years and years since I've been there. And uh, I don't know, there was this, a really beautiful, like, kind of like seeing seeing a need and filling a need uh, narrative that was beginning to grow um, out of the absence of tourism and uh, um, all of that <laughs> toxicity. So that's yeah. really beautiful to hear. I would be down to, uh, I have some, I have some little, like, uh, whistles and oh. we need to do, if we need to do a... a another workshop oh that's we can awesome make these oh that's beautiful i love it <laughs> that would be that would be cool i'm so happy to hear all of that yeah um has that project is is that still uh do you have to steward that a lot in your own practice where you're still very busy or has there been like it sounds like it's growing, but are you still carrying a lot of that uh, on your shoulders? Yeah. So, um, so luckily, my sister started helping me like pretty like quickly on them because she got kind of brought into the project because they wanted somebody to teach little kids how to draw, and so then she was teaching Zoom like drawing lessons in a bunch of the different um, the different shelters. And so then I was like, hey, dude, like, if you're going to go to TJ, I need you to take some more clay down because, like, there's no clay in TJ. <laughs> and, um, so then she was just like, oh, yeah, okay, no problem. And then 
she started getting more involved with the project. And so now it's me and my sister that run everything, but I still have to, you know, pay for it all. And I still have to be responsible for um, making sure that everybody has everything that they need, that there's, if there's any issues, like I'm the one that has to like deal with it all, you know? Um, So I'm still like, like the adult of note uh, on the project where like if shit goes down, you know, like I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, like now I got to like deal with this other random ass shit. But it's it's all really amazing. And even the random stuff is still, you know, like just amazing to be able to have such such good community partners, but also, um, you know, like let go some of that stuff, because in the end, like the project should be taken over by people from Tijuana, like the thing is people from Tijuana should care enough about their migrant population and about keeping safe their LGBTQ population that um, it's been good whenever like I have, like I can't run down there to do something. Then um, some of my community partners have stepped up or, you know, made calls out to their community of like ceramics folks or whatever to like come and support. And so then now it feels like, like a lot more of a shared responsibility between all of us, you know, where they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, like we got invited to be in this exhibition. And so then, you know, like they'll send me photos and they'll put on the exhibitions. They'll like, um, yeah. So I mainly have to kind of like let people that care, like fill in where like I can't, but then just make sure because, you know, of the like, name recognition that I've made for myself and the, the network that I've built through the Ambos project, um, which is Art Made Between Opposite Sides, uh, which was a project I founded in 2016. Um, because of that, then I'm still able to like apply for grants, like pull together resources. And so I know that, you know, like there's a great value to that, that like my partners in Tijuana like would not be able to to access the same amount of like, you know, of of resources than that I can in LA. Yeah. Could you um, explain a little bit more about AMBOS for our audience here? Yes. Uh, So AMBOS project is, so it's art made between opposite sides. And it's a project that I started in 2016. I started it when Trump was running for office and he, um, you know, was saying that Mexicans were like all rapists and like drug dealers and that Mexico only sends its worst. (laughs) So I started getting, I like thought about, you know, like when, like I was young and when I had to cross the border every day and when I would constantly hear people like, just constant, like just always talking shit about Tijuana and had this like really weird idea of like what Tijuana was and what Mexicans were when I was, you know, in school in, in the U.S. I thought about like how much it affected me and I thought about how much it affected my parents who worked in San Diego but lived in Tijuana their whole lives and just like how much stigma there is associated to like how the U.S. media um, portrays the border and Mexico. And so I really just wanted to like check in on people to make sure they were okay. And when you're crossing the border on car, uh, sometimes the border waits like, you know, like six hours. So you're kind of like a trapped audience is the way that I thought about it. And so I was just like, okay, this space is the space of like really intense, um, 
like fear and like just really intense like stigmatization and like isolation where you're going through this difficult thing for a really long period of time and you're like in a very like aggressive place because you can't let anybody cut in line in front of you and um so I was like all right like I want us to kind of think about this space of transition in a more mindful way I want it to be a place of engagement I want us to like like reclaim the space as a place of like like dialogue and like self-exploration and so then I ended up turning one stall in the middle of the border crossing into like an artist activation space where we had um, printmakers, photographers, sound artists, radio artists, uh, DJs, um, all these different people like use this space as a hub to talk about, you know, the like border, border issues, but also issues of like, you know, the, the rift between like Mexican, Chicano, and Mexican-American identity, which those three are really, like, huge. And, like, people won't sit in the same space together <laughs> because it's really different even though we're all the same, you know? Um, and I know we're not the same if you can cross the border. But anyway, it's this really huge difference. And so then um, in the beginning, um, the main project that I was leading was called the Border Kipu. So it was asking people how they feel when they cross the border while they tied a knot that was an emotional representation of their like, like their body, their space, like at the time or how they thought of themselves on either side of the border or just like their emotional state. Um, and so then that was turned into this massive sculpture. And so that first year, it was 2016. I think we engaged 7,000 people in Tijuana. Um, and so really quickly I like was like, Oh my God, like I can't believe that I like spent all this time and energy on this project that was just engaging with and talking about, you know, issues within our community, which is still a community of great privilege, you know, because it's still a community of people that are able to cross. Like, even though like within the layers of like the U.S., like we're like pretty low on it. But like in terms of like the layers in Mexico, like we're at the highest you know, because we can cross. Um, and so really quickly, like, I was just like, oh, my God, this is insane. I can't believe I didn't think about the project, including all the people that have been deported, all the people that can't cross and all the people who don't want to cross. Because there's also a lot of people who are like perfectly happy in Mexico and would never want to come to the U.S., <laughs> you know. And so <laughs> like I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> You know, and so I was like, oh, fuck, like, I can't believe I'm like coming at this massive wide breath project from such fucking privilege, you know. And so then really quickly, I was like, oh, my God, I have to do like this project has to keep going and we have to make more of an effort to include all those people. And so then the project made sure that we included in the border people, um, like all of those different voices and then turned it into a project about the people who congregate at the border or the people whose lives are affected by border policy, but are stuck on the southern side. And so then it turned into this, um, yeah, like multi-year project of traveling the entirety of the U.S.-Mexico border, documenting what the border looked like. So the fence, uh, changes to the fence, um, the art that was made on both sides, trying to do interviews with folks to understand 
Was there a dialogue between the two sides? What were the different issues that regionally each um, place, you know, had like the most, like what was seeping up and what were the problems that people didn't really want to talk about? And then whenever it felt appropriate, we would also do interventions at the fence or collaborations with artists um, on either side of the border. And so then that, yeah, is a project that is massive and it's ongoing. And um, the last, so the ceramics program is under the umbrella of AMBOS. And AMBOS, for the most part, is, um, you know, led by led by and funded by me, but then um, is a big open space for collaboration with folks. And there are a core group of us that were part of all of the um, the activations and the road trips. Um, and the majority of us are in LA and we still work together, but now we kind of like use it as a platform to let them talk about what their interests are, what they are working on in their own careers. And then whenever we have the opportunity to collaborate, then we'll come together and work on something together. And so the ceramics program is one thing that's ongoing for Ambos Project. And then the last two big projects were survival kits that we passed along to people with a petition asking the U.S. government to make a crossing lane for the elderly and disabled because the crossing times are very grueling, especially in the summer when you're a lot of it is in the desert and people perish crossing legally uh, into mm-hmm. the U.S. And then we also did like a, a project where the students from the shelter made incense burners uh, that then mm-hmm. we took and installed across the entire U.S.-Mexico border and all these different towns on the Mexican side so that we can also have space to acknowledge the hardships and the lives lost and also to pray for safe passage. But, you know, like making space to acknowledge that there are different ways of crossing. So there's ways of crossing legally. There's other ways of crossing. But everybody, you know, is worthy of of having a place of, like, humanity to, you know, to be able to ask for safe passage. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for everything that you're doing in general, but thanks for having this conversation with me today. Um, I am very excited for us to uh, come together and and, uh, hang out. So I definitely want that um, to happen sometime soon. And uh, other than that, I think I'm really interested in, um, and I I know our audience here at Broken Boxes would also be very interested in any insights that you could deliver or share with people to reach out, not speak to me, Chinupa, but to many people who do listen. Is there anything that you would love to say or share forward here? Wherever you are, if you ever want to come to L.A., you have space in my house to come and stay. And you have space in my studio to play and explore and do whatever you'd like to to try in the studio. Because we have, um, yeah, my house is wide open. My, yeah, my resources, my connections, all of that are wide open to all of you for whatever you may need at any point in your life. But... No, I think it's just so beautiful to be able to connect with you and, um, yeah, hopefully to get to connect with other people that hopefully will, you know, listen to our conversation. But no, I think just, you know, everyone, we have to like 
try really hard to like, you know, to keep making and to to take up space so that our stories don't get erased or co-opted by other people. And yeah, I think no matter what it is that you're doing, be it like super tiny or gigantic, you know, we have to to be like strong within ourselves to to know that that's whatever we're involved in doing was the right thing to do. Um, and even if we don't understand, you know, why we're called to do it, like we'll understand later. And so, yeah, so I just hope that people keep making, you know, artwork, whatever their expression may be, whatever their medium, so that we can make more of our voices known and that we can hopefully, you know, connect and help lift each other up because um, we really need each other. Mm, thank you, Tanya. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have another question, actually. Um, so you you work with uh, you say you have a fiber base, you know, in your mm-hmm. practice. But um, just from this podcast alone, we've heard the exploration into other mediums. You're you're pretty courageous in your uh, exploration into those spaces. Is there anything that you're thinking about right now that you're like, ooh, you know what? I want to I want to engage with. Um, I think the one thing that I like get called to like engage with out of like really like weird, like either like emergencies or like really um, like what is it like uh, urgency is performance, but I don't call myself a performance artist or I wouldn't think of myself, you know, as a performance artist, even though a lot of the pieces that I've done are performance based, I think because it feels uh, like I have a lot of, you know, like imposter syndrome with things I have to do with academia or like reading. Uh, like, I feel like, oh, no, 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 to like be in that space, you got to like know a lot about like what you're talking about. Um, and I know that that's not true, but it's just like how it works itself out, like in my like anxiety. But I have been thinking more about um, like the the like legacy that I come out of is the legacy of the Border Art Workshop, um, which is a like binational artist collaborative group that was mainly performance based uh, when it started in the 80s in like 1984. And a lot of the like big names that came out of it were men. And like my mentor that I that like taught me how to work in some of the ways that I work, mainly with community, uh, was a man. Um, and so I was part of the Border Art Workshop from 97 to 2003. And so I've been thinking more about um, like what it is to be like a mother and a woman in these spaces of like great violence against women and trying to like think about how to like explore some of those issues through performance more. And so I don't know what that looks like at all, you know, but I've been thinking about, um, yeah, like kind of like delving into what does it mean to be a nurturer in these spaces and a generator, you know, like being in this femme body. And I think that like, I think that in other lifetimes of like great progress and strength, I've been a man. And so I feel like I have to like be really grateful for the fact that I'm in a female form in this lifetime and that that is a massive gift to get to 
you know, like explore the territories that I'm in and the issues that I deal with in this femme form, you know? Yeah, well, the the capacity to like anticipate need in your general practice is a it's clear and present in what you're doing in your in this lifetime, you know, and grossly needed in the societies that we navigate and the systems that we navigate. So the exploration of just knowledge and care, it, it like I hate reading too. <laughs> this is why I like podcasts. I can get information through my ears. Uh, I I think that share is grossly needed and is going to become ever more apparent as an antidote to our present times. So I really appreciate that. And however I can help celebrate that aspect, like, please. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got some privileges, too, that I'm trying to explore. And I'm happy to to flex my privilege. Uh, (laughs) Well, and I also want to say I am a huge fan and you have been a a major inspiration in my in my life and um, my artistic practice as well. And and this is why I reached out to you um, initially on the on the first project, because because of that level of care that you maintain as I was exploring the project with something to hold on to, uh, I recognized quickly the the impact of patriarchy on my own mind and life and practice and my exploration into working with community. And the work that you've done has been a total inspiration for me. And I reference you often when talking to people, when they ask, how do you do it? And what's the right way? I'm like, I'm learning. And Tanya is my teacher. Oh, it's continued. So I'm still learning. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. It's an honor and like such a pleasure to get to talk to you. And yeah, I only wish we were like sitting next to each other. So I, could, I know. Like, yeah. Um, could you also just like, you know, before we go share, because these projects take a lot of time and resource from you. And I want you to keep being the amazing you that you are in the world, there are folks on our audience who may be able to help and support. Could you tell us where and how, and we'll link those in the, in the thing as well. Yes. Um, so the best link is ambosproject.com. Uh, and on there we have information about, um, yeah, our like years of work on the border, uh, resources for people to get in contact with different um, artists on both sides of the border. Um, and there's also a link to information about our ceramics program. Um, and yeah, no, I just, I hope that, yeah, that people do get in contact and, and they don't have to give anything, but it would just be nice for people to, to look at what we're doing and, and to get, yeah, connected to what some of our issues are, are, yeah, over on this side of, of town, you know? Yeah. Remember, everybody, money is the least you can give. (laughs) (laughs) There is so many other things (laughs) that build support systems. Totally. If if you're so poor that all you have is money, please share that as well. But if time, (laughs) knowledge and care is something you're willing to support with, find Tanya and and help help out the project. Thank you so much. And yep. we love you. And uh, oh, as we say, where I'm from, get the Wamatsugirats. All right.
It's good to see you guys. Have a nice dinner. I love you and I'm so excited to hang out with you guys when you're on this side. <laughs>